Log Talk Radio. Log Talk Radio. Oh, you got to mute that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I used to rule the world, Chris Martin said. I guess circa 1950s and 60s and 70s, physicians felt like they were at the top of the heap and uh, what they said went and mattered and and feel somewhat challenged in today's market. Welcome to the broadcast, everyone. I'm your host, Greg Masters, and we're coming to you today from San Diego, California on Wednesday, June 29th, 2011, and Portland, Oregon as my guests today, are in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Now, I mentioned on a prior update... We've... Welcome to the broadcast, everyone. I'm your host, Greg Master. <laughs> this is social media, and it's live and raw. So, Nate, you, you don't want to have your browser open on Blog Talk Radio. All you need, we just need Skype connection. Yeah, I don't. I closed it. Okay. What's going on? <laughs> okay, so um yeah, all right, we've been uh as in a prior update I mentioned I've been a little remiss on the weekly sessions for ACO Watch and Midweek Review. It's it's been kind of a crazy agenda, but today we're resuming the normal broadcast schedule, which is Wednesdays at eleven PM eleven AM Pacific and two PM Eastern. Now I'm uh, really thrilled to have two thought leaders on the show today. One I've known and met and, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about and uh, one who's new to me today. It's kind of uh, odd that we have not yet met given his background. So Tony McCormick uh, at T- Tony MI2, the number two, is uh, is our first guest, director and CTO at Linked IPAs, which is a privately held MSO. And reading from the description, it's a master contractor of IPAs, independent physician associations, cooperative clinics, and credentialing services located in Houston, Texas, and surrounding areas. Uh, The overall company activities is run and mostly owned by a 5013C charity called Tomorrow's Bread Today, which is what started it all. Tony's also president of MI2, a medical information integration company, LLC, privately held, in the computer software industry. Uh, They do consulting on custom programming, data integration, services for healthcare data management, uh, etc., including practice management, EHRs, EMRs, billing, and backup services. Welcome, Tony. Welcome. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to this little chat. I am I am too. Just delighted you could join us. And also uh, is Nate De Niro, aka at Open Affairs or at Un- Uncle Nate on Twitter. Nate is the brain trust and creative force behind a new media startup that focuses on coverage of open source, government 2.0, and health 2.0 innovation. De Niro is also an experienced entrepreneur and tech professional who enjoys meeting the challenges that come with shaping an organization during its informative stages. During its formative stages, some of the organizations De Niro's worked with include 
Intel, Perot, Sprint, Goldman Sachs, Chase, Washington Mutual, rest in peace, Bank of America, <laughs> and others. Now, I want to give you a little sidebar on uh, Mr. De Niro. Uh-oh. Uncle Nate, as, as we know. Well, welcome, Nate. Well, thank you very much, Greg. I'm very happy to be here finally after all this. All this time we've been talking about this. Yes, we we have been we have been uh, uh, bantering about this uh, uh, actual event. So, uh, just for everyone's uh, perhaps uh, uh, insight here, I, I met Nate, Uncle Nate, in the press room at the uh, Hymns 2011 uh, annual meeting in Orlando last February. And I'm looking at him, and I and I have this strange sense of you know deja vu, kind of like I've been here before. I know this guy. So the first screen I'm running the image through, the file server brings up is my son, because there's a very similar look. I mean, if, uh, if you've seen Nate's face, it's 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 uh, he's a handsome man. He's got thick black hair, and he had a beard, and I just you know sort of. Comp- I the look in his eyes of intensity. Okay, so I'm seeing this guy. I yep. I think it look. He, well, he reminds me of my son. Nah, it doesn't work. So I kept at it, kept at, it, kept at it. And finally, it came to me. There's a show on Mojo called Startup Junkies, and Nate was <laughs> Nate was the go-to guy, the guy who sort of got all the arrows from the clients. You know, he's always the guy who had to translate everything for this world-class male. What was it called? Earth class male. Earth class male. Thank you, Nate. Anyway, so he, Nate has a starring role in the Startup Junkies. If you've not seen uh, Startup Junkies, go to Mojo or do a Hulu search. Search for this. If you're a on- serial entrepreneur, you have any interest in the startup world, check out that series. There's a lot of good information. Of course, there's our good friend, Uncle Nate, starring in Startup Junkies. So, Thank you very much, Greg. That was <laughs> Glowing introduction. I really yeah, appreciate it. Absolutely. That. So you guys are in Portland. I have known him that long. <laughs> okay. Are you impressed? Oh, yes. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe he'll sign something for you. Yeah, that, that and three bucks gets me a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So, gentlemen, all kidding aside, today we I've, I've dubbed our talk uh, ACOs, IPAs, and Health IT. But uh, we've set this up as a chat and have no particular agenda. So I thought we would just uh, kick it off with, um, let, let's go to you, Tony. Um, um, is that an appropriate title? And where where might we go with this conversation? Tell us about ACOs, IPAs, and health IT. What, what are the connections there? I think it's a very appropriate title, and it's certainly uh, very topical for, for today's market. Um, between the government's uh, insistence that uh, Medicare providers all become uh, users of electronic medical records, and and interestingly enough, not just users, but users in a meaningful way, quote-unquote, which has some very specific connotations, and the desire to reduce the cost of medical expenses for that Medicare population, the whole ACO model um, is very intrinsically tied to healthcare IT and to intercommunication between the providers and the suppliers to the providers and the patient members and the organizers of those kinds of businesses. It's incumbent on us all to figure out how this works. And um, there are a number of different approaches to do that. One of them is to pour an enormous amount of money on it and uh, lock them down 
to some sort of very tight networks. And the other is more the direction our organization is interested in, which is to leverage open source and open uh, technologies and open protocols to make the make the IT side of this infrastructure um, become one of the things that reduces the cost of healthcare. There are lots and lots of different pieces to that puzzle, and that's that's one of the pieces. And of course, the piece that being the chief technical officer of the two organizations that are uh, have technical arms in this part um, is, of course, the piece that I'm the most fascinated by. Hello. Sorry, I, sorry, I had muted myself because I didn't. Want, uh -oh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to hear you. I didn't want you to hear you uh, chewing my, chewing my gum while I was listening. Um, uh, I was starting to say I jammed a lot of information, uh, or at least some summary information about what you're doing over at Linked IPAs, etc. But do, do you want to talk? About, I'd be particularly interested in. Um, from what you've seen uh, in in the ACO conversation, I don't know how how much of a deep dive you've done in the regs or not necessarily. Or where are you at on the sensing of sort of on the ground of the feedback from IPAs who typically are not unfamiliar with contracts and contracting and care management and all that other stuff? What's your sense in the marketplace, at least? In Houston or wherever you're doing work, I mean, what's the sentiment around I IPAs and when we're relative to ACOs and and give us a read because there's there's a sense there's some a lot of skepticism out there. I think I think in general that's true. There is a lot of skepticism. We uh, we decided a month or two ago that that we were going to attempt to um, apply for the Pioneer ACO program, and we got through slogged through all of the appropriate uh, documentation and processes around that and and did uh, submit a letter of intent to do that and then decided that it probably was not going to be a profitable uh, model for us to start with. Uh, there was the, 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 the Pioneer model essentially doesn't have any money in it to do administration until you're two years into it. And so you have to have really deep pockets. And I think that's a a concern generally for IPAs that want to consider moving into the into the ACO market, and uh, and the, much of the feedback uh, to the government around the ACO uh, process and the ACO model is around that that you know how do you not just how do you make money but how do you even survive because the model isn't currently geared toward um, startup. Essentially, I mean, it's geared toward uh, making it once you've gotten there, but not not the not enough funding to get to get there in terms of the program itself. So you have to be able to develop processes that can fund that stuff and other ancillary kinds of businesses around the model. I think to support them long term. I think uh, um, on the positive side. The, the the general guidelines for um, quality care and providing quality care and managing the utilization across these networks are good ones, and they're not new. They're well known. Uh, the term ACO is just the new name for IPA, which is the new name for several hundred acronyms back. Um, <laughs> so J.D. Kleinke has a really nice blog post on that on his blog, 
about the history of the acronyms in the managed care world. Uh, quite a fascinating read. Yay, shout out to J.D. Kleinke. I'll have to check that out. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do at, at, at Linked IPAs. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Okay, so I'm I'm the chief technical officer and kind of the uh, operational manager for, for the business. And so, you know, my predominant role is to make sure that we have the appropriate technologies in place and that we're working on the new technologies to to handle our communications between all of the entities. And in an IPA, those entities, you know, are the providers themselves, the patient members that uh, are assigned to those providers, the insurance companies. In the case of Houston, there, there are two or there are four predominant insurance companies that are Medicare Advantage programs that we communicate with. Um, the data that we have to communicate with them spans the, the information from daily uh, utilization and claims reports to to bonus distribution uh, management, which is a fairly complex chunk of data in and of itself. Um, so that's that's my predominant role um, in the ACO and our our IPA, which we are definitely working on being an ACO or applying to be an ACO in that in that category. Let so me, let me... work right now, of course, is working through the. The, tech, the the requirements for ACO application. Right. So uh, it sounds like you're either thinking about or have uh, made some preliminary decisions about whether or not you submit the LOI, the letter of intent to participate in the Pioneer program. But are you – there was uh, – do you have any risk lives under contract with any of your IPA relationships? At this point, we're uh, they're all um, – Medicare Advantage, and they're they're not at risk on that. Although well, the contracts that we have are are on the basis of a profit sharing scenario, we have uh, we have uh, organized IPAs that are owned by the physicians that are that are underneath the umbrella of linked IPAs, which is why we call it linked IPAs. There are five of them uh, around Houston, and um, you know our our job is to make sure that those patients get good care without costing. The Medicare Advantage programs of fortune, and we share the um, the difference essentially. Now, it seems to me the Medicare Advantage world has a distinct advantage uh, relative to planning and implementation and culture and infrastructure and core skill sets, etc., than uh, someone who's not been involved uh, uh, in that particular domain. Is is that is that a correct assessment? We absolutely agree with that assessment. Yes. So, are you? I actually overheard. Uh, overheard. I was following the um, the uh, ACO summit uh, this week, uh, live broadcast, and uh, Dr. Uh, Gilfillan, who's the director of the C CMS Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, basically said uh, he put a challenge out there. He said, uh, "Game on, you Medicare contractors! You must do better." What do you think of that? I agree, 100%. And and the 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 part of the cha biggest challenge in this ACO contract right now in this ACO model is that is that the focus publicly is still on an open network where the the patients are free to choose their providers and and still covered entirely, but the onus on the Medicare services providers like ours are going to be to manage that care. And so those are diametrically opposed 
problems. The, the management of that, the only way to manage the care and the utilization is to make sure that those patients go to the, to the appropriate primary care physicians who will, who will take care of them and who understand and who are locked together into, into teams that are focused on the care of the patient and not on the acquisition of funds. Okay, let, let me ask you this. Uh, it's hard to believe that this would be the case, but um, there are plenty of people involved in the conversation, particularly coming at it through social media channels, who may not be totally aware, but what the heck is an IPA? It's an Independent Practitioners Association. So essentially it's a contracted group of, of independent practitioners who agree to work together to a common goal, typically um, typically both the care and feeding of their patient population and the uh, to the betterment of their financial situation by by agreeing to manage the care of those patients in a way that the hospitalizations are significantly reduced so that the so that the profits can be shared on the basis of the difference between actual utilization and expected utilization. So uh, who, are you at risk? Is the Medicare contractor at risk? In, the, in our particular organization, I do not believe that we are, um, except we're at risk at not getting any, any profits. Okay. <laughs> and, and you're paying the doctors on a negotiated fee-for-service schedule? Uh, our primary care physicians are all capitated in the Medicare Advantage programs. They are capitated, and the specialists and the ancillaries are paid on a negotiated fee-for-service. There, there are certain key specialists that are capitated, uh, but mostly the specialists are fee-for-service. And do you have shared risk with any of your hospitals? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. That would okay. be something that Don would know. He's our Don is the contracting agent. He's the, the CEO of the organization, and he's the contracting uh, the, the key dude in charge of those kinds of contracts. Okay, so <laughs> stay focused on the technology, but got it. Um, <laughs> let me let me ask you this then, and um, I don't know if this is too much of a deep dive, but um, um, are the hearts and minds of the docs in this model, or are they just sort of going along to get along? For our purposes, we don't recruit doctors that aren't in it all the way, heart and mind. That we think that's a the most key and most important part of an effective network is that one, that your medical directors are, are in it and understand and believe that what, that what we're doing um, is important in costs and in the, in the quality of patient care and in the ability to make profits for those IPAs. So they have to, they have to be really bought in and then we put together teams of around those PCPs who are in the network, the primary care providers that are in the network, so that we have a limited specialist network that are trusted, led essentially by a hospitalist we also trust to make sure that get in front of of hospital undue hospitalizations and make sure that when the hospitalization is is abs- is necessary that the that the patient members don't get kicked out of the hospital too soon. And both of those are very key, and it requires tight coordination and a, and a team of people that trust each other. Well, well, well said, and thank you for that. I, I totally agree. I think the uh, the missing agreement is and remains in most cases 
uh, culture and buy-in from physicians that they're really mission-focused, that this is uh, not something they're just, as I said, going along to get along or putting up with as a small segment of their total practice, but they're, they're really here putting the patient at the center, thinking about collaboration, coordination, best practices and such. If, they're, if their hearts are not in it, ain't going to work. So let me ask you about TBT. I have never heard of this entity before. I want to shout out for TBT.org. It stands for Tomorrow's Bread Today. And I have to tell you, as I read this, and I'm just now glancing at it, I'm stunned. I'm fascinated by this. I'm going, oh, my God, these guys get it. You know, T talk a little bit about TBT. TBT was started by my father a lot of years ago when he um, essentially stepped down from managing a major uh, PPO in the Houston area. He had uh, he, uh, he he was ready to do something that was more focused on taking care of people and less focused on making money. As an and he's a serial entrepreneur as well. And uh, <laughs> so he decided that he was going to switch his focus to giving back to the community. And since his experience and expertise was all it was in the healthcare industry and particularly in healthcare insurance industry and in PPOs and HMOs, um, naturally he gravitated toward helping, finding a mechanism by which we could, we could take care of each other through a charitable organization and to, to help people who couldn't get healthcare in any way, shape, or form. And so TBT's sort of original mission, um, a, apart from taking care of essentially anybody who would come to us to in need of help was to open a couple of charity clinics around the Houston area and uh, provide help, free health care, essentially, for, um, for anybody who needed it, for the underserved populations. And that's where it came, that's where it came out of. Um, it's, a broad, it's a broad spectrum support um, mechanism for doing this. We discovered fairly early on in running these charity clinics in Houston that having to beat down the doors of the local churches and charitable organizations and companies to, to scrape together a few donations every month in order to keep the doors open was uh, painful and difficult and uh, not conducive to providing good health care uh, when what we wanted to be focused on was taking care of the patients in those clinics that were in need. And so uh, this idea of creating a patient-physician co-op um, became an important part of that, and we did some canvassing in the area around the clinics, essentially, and um, found out that people were really willing, really, really willing, and could afford a direct pay model wherein they joined a co-op and had access to a primary care physician in their neighborhood, and they paid that primary care physician directly on a, on a essentially, a capitated basis, a flat monthly retainer fee, and that retainer fee turns out to be something less than $35 a month uh, to cover all of the primary care needs of anybody um, that needs help. Um, there are always outliers, as, as with all risk pools, but in general, $30 to $40 a month is more than enough to take care of your primary care needs. And so from that, so the, the, charity, the charity's purpose has now evolved to supporting that co-op organization and from that co-op organization, uh, we put money through all of the businesses that are part of the TBT family, we put money back into the charity 
so that when uh, patient members who come to us in need because they can't pay their their co-op membership or because they're destitute or they can't afford health insurance anymore, then we use the TBT funds to help them. So I have to say this slightly tongue-in-cheek because I don't know what your response is going to be, but uh, <laughs> but but I, I'm sure the major nonprofits in Houston are beating down your door to want to give you money to support your uh, your community benefit outreach. Is that correct? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very fascinating lack of. Uh, yeah. Of Understanding, I think. Right. Oh, bless. <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. I, I, I'm, I'm scrolling through the site. I just tweeted the uh, a little more on uh, linked IPAs, which is the offering document, uh, the memorandum on the site, tbt. dot org. I'm so I'm blown away. You guys are great. Uh, I you consider me a fan, and uh, we'll have to get now. Let's uh, contrast this to, let's say, uh, for instance, are you familiar with the Q Lions? Uh, as an example, or some of these membership models, not concierge per se, but retainer or membership models, which seem to approach this cooperative model that you're talking about. Can you can you can you contrast that at all, or what's up? Um, with that? I'm not I'm not uh, familiar with the intimate details of that of the of Q Alliance or with Direct Care out of Seattle. There there are um, a no, this is not a new thing, not right. at all. Well, not not in the Pacific Northwest. It's certainly not a new thing in the Pacific Northwest, and co-ops in general are not a new thing. Direct care-type payment programs and uh, retainer programs like this are are something that's been tried a few times, uh, a few dozen times, maybe a few hundred thousand times. Uh, and the the issue has always been a, a couple of – there's been a couple of issues. They're either a single physician practice that's trying to build – a direct market around their own practice, and that can be successful or not, like any evangelical operation. Um, or there are companies who started out um, like we are starting out uh, with an intention to to provide care to a given particular slice of of the community, uh, you know, labor unions or whatever, um, and then and then get greedy over the years and become insurance companies. I think Blue Cross Blue Shield might fit that uh, model. Right. (laughs) There are some very successful larger co-ops. I know there's one in the Puget Sound area um, whose name uh, slips me right now that have, that are following this model. And um, that the new thing here, I think is that we're doing this totally at the grassroots level. This is not something that that's being, sort of driven by a major insurance company or a major hospital or even a collection of doctors. It's really a grassroots effort uh, to build a co-op with both the patients in the co-op and the providers in the co-op as equal partners and not a buyer-seller relationship. Well, well, that, my friend, is the secret sauce for success. And anything, and we, we if anything, if we've done anything, particularly with the scale entities, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit, it's always been about asset roll-up and then cookie-cutter roll-down, <clears throat> and it fails over and over and will continue to fail. So it's got to get baked up granularly in, in the local market footprint like you're talking about. And um, uh, 
I'm I'm how long has this uh, offering document been on the street, by the way? A little more than a year. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's just a year. I mean, yeah. This is Nate. Uh, the, I mean, the IPA has been around for what fifteen years, right? Yeah. And the the PPC in Houston for about six. <laughs> But three, yeah, okay, yeah. So it's not its current form. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it's incremental tinkering, right? You you do yeah. better as you learn, and that's what you guys are doing. Um, so I just want to say the new vernacular. We have to add PPC to the conversation because when when I first heard that from you, Nate, I went PPC. Hmm, what does that mean? You know. So right. Uh, uh, everybody. Yeah, that'd be pay-per-click <laughs> for you SEO, SEM gurus out there. It's not pay-per-click. Uh, yeah, so it's patient-physician cooperative, correct? Yep. Okay. And we we chose the order of those those names very intentionally because so much in this industry puts the physician as sort of the master in charge of healthcare, and we wanted to put the patient in charge of their own healthcare. Oh, bless you. Uh, and that's the trend you see, obviously, with the government as well. I mean, they, they recognize and, and various players in the industry recognize that putting the patient at the center of this equation, um, you know, certainly makes them more responsible or, or gets them engaged in their care. And there's plenty of examples out there uh, and uh, evangelists out there like, you know, ePatient Dave, Dave Broncart, and, and others who, you know, they, they understand this. And uh, I think that there's more and more providers that understand this as well. I mean, there, you know, there's certainly plenty uh, of folks out there in the provider population that still have this, um, you know, master of the universe sort of, of approach. But I think as the funding model changes, as the technology enables patients to get more involved in their care, um, and we we try to stand up a more patient centric system, you know. Then, from a consumer perspective, I think that, you know, it's certainly going to change the game for providers and how they look at the world, uh, and how they pr- provide service. I mean, again, you know, it, it, uh, lots of uh, well, most providers, I'm sure, get into the field because they want to help people, not because they want to run a healthcare practice. You know, and that's what they wind up doing at the end of the day. So that's another another important piece to this is enabling that um, relationship to flourish between the patient and the provider, um, and also pro- providing some some satisfaction to the providers themselves. You know, insofar as you know, there's there's examples of of clinics who are heavily PPC focused, which means they get to really spend more time caring for the patients than what people normally experience uh, in the, you know, the, the current existing funding model for healthcare where, you know, your provider is only given a few minutes to see you because he's got to fill his pipeline with patients to keep the doors open and keep his staff paid and, and operating things. So That's yeah, particularly true of primary care these days. They make yeah. the bottom of the pot as far as, uh, as income is concerned. They don't, you know, people think of doctors as being wealthy. That's specialists they're thinking of. Primary care physicians are still, you know, street professionals who make reasonable salaries and sometimes unreasonably low salaries in the market right now. You're talking primaries? Yeah, primary yeah. care. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully that uh, <clears throat> in the equation here, that's going to rebalance in their favor uh, ultimately because um, – you know, we have a specialty-dominated culture, and that not to rehash that whole argument, but uh, at any rate. So, um, well, Nate, you're uh, pretty close to that sort of government pulse, uh, so to speak, both on open government uh, and Health 2.0. What, what, what do you think about the, the regs and the sentiment, and uh, how do you size up the, uh, you know, the, the, how do you size up the debate at this point? Well, I mean, I think that it's um, what, what's happening these days is, is great. I think, um, you know, all the things that are happening that underlie health reform uh, on the technology side have been really terrific and have raised awareness, um, not only in the industry, but also, you know, out there in the general public, or it's just, it's just starting to. I mean, most people have no clue how their health care is financed. They have, you know, no clue how the system runs. And they get a crash course, uh, God forbid, uh, they contract some sort of a, a condition, um, you know, that they have to deal with, uh, or they have a family member or a loved one or a you know, parent or someone like that who contracts a condition that they, they now have to deal with. So, um, you know, it's, it's certainly a well-known fact that, that uh, health care costs have a significant, you know, significant impact on the economy. I mean, some estimates that Put it at 18% of our GDP, um, you know, and that our healthcare um, costs twice as much as the next nearest neighbor, um, but our outcomes aren't necessarily any better, and in some cases they're worse. So, you know, where I come at this is from the technology perspective. One one thing um, we didn't cover in my background is that I'm a recovering health IT consultant, um, and I've done some very large. Uh, EMR implementations that were pre-high tech, um, you know, so these these implementations were driven by a need within uh, a healthcare facility to uh, homogenize the platforms that they were you know, that they were um, you know, utilizing within within their their operation to to lower their costs and and coordinate care within their operation. You know, so it's it's not like uh, again, it's not like all these moves are new, but I'm coming at it from the technology perspective and saying, hey, you know, this technology uh, has a huge potential to save lives. It has a huge potential to um, reduce costs, and that's where I got really interested in in the linked IPAs and the PPC because um, what they what they wound up doing. Um, to improve their care delivery more efficient was to adopt open source electronic medical record systems um, and also get deeply involved in the improvement and giving back to those projects as well. One in particular uh, is the Open EMR project. And uh, Tony, uh, as well as uh, another counterpart uh, of his, Dr. Sam Bowen in Hickory, North Carolina, um, Really, you know, came or you know, you know, co- co- coalesced around the project, a you know, in an effort to adopt it to um, uh, improve the efficiency of the IPAs, but then also to to make it a viable project from an open source perspective and support the community uh, of developers and also get it certified so that it remains a viable option. Uh, 
for primary care providers. You know, e- Open EMR is, is largely focused on that. Take, 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 take a minute and talk a little bit about Open EMR. Well, I mean, I'd let Tony do that. I mean, I, I, I can talk about it from an observer's perspective, um, you know, from, from the sense that that's what I look at, um, the types of things I look at uh, with open affairs television. Um, you know, Tony is, for all intensive purposes, the, the technical director of the project, and then his counterpart, Dr. Sam Bowen, is, you know, arguably the medical side of the project. Um, Dr. Bowen has a clinic in Hickory, North Carolina that he'd been running for years and had what amounts to be sort of a PPC operation running within his clinic. And um, again, I'm going to let Tony talk about this, but, uh, you know, the McCormick's operation and Dr. Bowen's operation merged earlier this year. So now, you know, we have PPCs in Houston, we have a PPC in North Carolina, and we're actually in the process uh, and have established a, a PPC here in Oregon. And, you know, we're looking at going state by state and starting to stand these things up. But again, the thing that, that underlies this in large part and makes it um, as efficient as it can be is, is this open source technology, which uh, a lot of providers and a lot of folks in the industry are looking at as a potential solution um, of, of one, one form or another. I mean, open EMR is, is largely for primary care providers. Um, it's got everything soup and nuts that they would need, except for a few elements, um, you know, like um, what uh, labs, stuff like that, that d- tend to get a little proprietary. Um, but, you know, you can integrate labs in, in with the system and, and, and create a fully functional integrated system with open EMR at the center um, from a technical perspective. And then um, in context of an IPA or PPC, you can then utilize that tool to coordinate care um, because it has all the guts necessary to uh, enable um, uh, health information exchange within the organization that you've cre- created, whether it's the IPA or the PPC or, or both, um, or the wider system as well You know that is being set up um, and and sort of founded by all of the, the high-tech uh, activity and the achievement of meaningful use and the establishment of regional and statewide health information exchanges. So, so let me ask you, or perhaps Tony, what, what's the state of the infrastructure in terms of open EMR, and is it ready for prime time if you were to be deluged tomorrow with uh, prudent buying IPAs who want to do open source versus a proprietary alternative? So Open EMR is uh, weeks away from being a fully certified ONC EHR. We've got a few little pieces of components and that are that are left to close that loop. Um, just literally weeks away, um, those those components remain the ones that are the most complex in these kinds of, of uh, in any EMR proprietary or open source. Uh, essentially, the clinical quality measures. Uh, requirements are are extremely complex for any EMR, and I'm I am blown away by the participation of our volunteer uh, developers in their ability to produce uh, what is the most complex requirement in the ONC uh, rule set. Uh, the, so it just makes me oh. extremely wow. proud of this project because we are really really there. 
and really competitive with any proprietary system you can name in this, and it's all open source. That's an important distinction. I mean, if you look at the the you know the proprietary private side of the industry, yeah, if I want my EMR to be relevant and play in the in the environment today, I've got to get my meaningful use certification, which means you know up to or perhaps more than a thirty thousand dollar investment I make. With a certification body, getting yeah, that's, cert- yeah, that's just the cost of getting certified. just getting certified. That's not any development you need to do to become compliant. Now, um, you know whether or not your audience knows how open source projects work. I mean, they're largely um, done well a, a couple different ways. Either you have a community of developers that that comes around a certain problem and builds software to solve that problem, um, or you've got some commercial entities that might rely on that software as, as a, a component of their business or a foundation for their business. Um, but still, they're, they're generally consultants. It's not, they're not building. It's, it's, it's a, a rare occasion that you've got someone building an entire business around an open source project. Um, so in terms of open EMR and an open source project where you've got contributors contributing to this, this common uh, work, who then pays to have it certified if you want it to remain viable um, in today's environment. So that was one of the things that um, the project had, had grappled with intensively because, you know, if you, if you weren't certified by sometime this year, then chances of you remaining relevant in, in the conversation and in the ecosystem are diminished because, you know, providers have to make their moves and they, you know, uh, to achieve stage one, they have to have 90 days of use before the end of this year, right? Um, and to be eligible for, for meaningful use reimbursement. So, um, you know, you have to imagine that if you're not if you're not really viable and, and certified by the middle or end of the year, then you might as well, you know, it's it's going to be a much tougher road to hoe. So that's one of the things that's really important about this is that this project and, and others as well. Are able to have, we're able to garner the funds or the resources to be able to get certified, which is super super important. Just barely. Just barely, right? <laughs> In terms of the funding, we used an enormous amount of support, um, essentially after we ran out of money from the people who had already committed to the project. Uh, you know, third-party vendors and, and numerous people who who agreed to continue to. Um, keep their developers on the project to the bitter end, whether there was any money or not coming out of the foundation, which uh, happens to be oemr.org, in case you're interested. Oh, are you muted? Yes, I am muted. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just remind you every time. Thank you, Nate. All together, we make one hell of a guy. Um <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, yeah, because uh, I was uh, doing a query. Is there a Twitter handle for Open EMR? Because I don't. There is. Oh, it's O E M R underline org. Okay, O E M R underline org. Okay, good. So shout out for O E underline org on Twitter for the Open EMR project. And uh, so, guys. Uh, you know, we just we've blazed through these forty-five uh, minutes of our conversation today. Uh, so I think we just scratched the surface here, and um, 
I definitely think we could have another round, uh, either segmenting out just the EMR, EHR side of the conversation, uh, or the IPA, ACO integration, you know, uh, operational integration, cultural, all that. So at any rate, uh, I want to thank uh, Tony and Nate for their participation today. Tony, thank you. Nate, thank you. Very, very welcome. Anytime. And I think there's an opportunity to schedule a round two here to talk more about this. And uh, Tony, is that a tweetable bit of information about the near certification of the uh, Open EMR? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, shout it from the mountaintop. We will shout it from the mountaintop. So all of that information is is uh, the current status of everything about that is all available on our wiki site as well. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, you, I will impart that in the blog shortly here, and. Uh, I want to thank my guests. I'm sort of managing a new switchboard here on Blog Talk Radio. So, guys, thanks again, and we'll uh, come back and do a round two conversation. Terrific. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Bye now. Bye-bye. So thanks thanks for joining us, and uh, we do this every week, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Join us. Thanks again. Bye now.